Now it's time for the Rural News with Monique Steele. Kia ora, Monique. Where are things at for the controversial Waimea Dam? Well, a dry early spring is creating uncertainty as to whether the largest dam to be built since the Clyde Dam three decades ago will be filled as hoped by December. Tasman's Waimea Dam will hold 13 billion litres of water and is a partnership between the Tasman District Council and producer-backed Waimea Irrigators. The water will be used for horticultural production and council use. Waimea Water Chief Executive Mike Scott says the dam started filling in in early September, but a lack of rainfall means so far it's only 15% full. He says with normal rain levels, the dam would be full by Christmas, ready for peak summer demand. But he says while not ideal, water can only be taken when it's 75% full. So it's a little bit uncertain right now. It's, it's hard to say uh, whether we can expect average rainfalls between now and December. Um, certainly uh, my shareholders are expecting a pretty dry El Nino wind, windy summer. Um, certainly after December, which, which is one of the reasons we're very keen to get the reservoir full um, as soon as we can. And we don't need to be full to provide service. I mean, whatever we have stored, we can, we can provide service with. Dam construction started in 2019, and massive price blowouts have seen the final tab nearly double to $198 million. Mike Scott says that's probably what's caused the greatest opposition to the dam. It's a big legacy-changing investment for the region. Water security will basically underpin, firstly, the primary sector and therefore the subsequent secondary and tertiary sector in our, in our economy. Um, it also supports TDC, the Tasman District Council, and growth in particular with more housing. And thirdly, it, it supports um, river health. I mean, we use a natural system. Uh, there'll be more water going down the rivers during the very dry period, which uh, improves the river health. That's Mike Scott. Meanwhile, Murray Dawson, founder of Water Information Network, which opposed the dam, says he doubts the projected economic regional benefits will arrive. He says natural aquifers, which are used for irrigation now, hold enough water to satisfy current and expected demand by urban and farming interests. Mr Dawson says claims that $25 million of extra production will come from the dam water are questionable. He says kiwifruit apple Apples and grapes don't need it to survive, and it's only vegetable production which could benefit from it. Murray Dawson says claims that the Waimea River water quality will benefit are also incorrect. The dam functions by releasing water when down near the Applebee Bridge in the lower part of the river, it falls below 1,100 litres a second. So that hasn't happened for three years. If you go back to 2005-2006... There's been one year, 1819, when we'd have required about 20% of the volume of the dam. So what we're talking about here is a period of more than 15 years when one year, 20% of the volume of the dam would have been needed to maintain the flow in the river. And don't forget, there is a hope that by maintaining the flow in the river, it will increase or maintain the levels in the aquifers. That won't happen either. Murray Dawson says it will be interesting to see the dam's impact in the coming years. 
Initial assessments that a fifth of Tairawhiti's cyclone-damaged high-value gold kiwifruit vines wouldn't survive the winter appear thankfully too pessimistic. Following Cyclone Gabrielle, it was thought that 20% of the vines, or 180 hectares in both Tairawhiti and Hawke's Bay, that they would die. But head of grower organisation NZKGI Colin Bond says it is still grim for some of the Hawke's Bay's 200 hectares of fruit. But for the 700 hectares of gold vines around Poverty Bay is looking much more positive. The uncertainty for us is those areas and orchards that were had prolonged exposure to silt or water, that's created the most uncertainty. But we are hearing positive news about green shoots appearing in spring, just to really decide whether or not those plants will be able to hold a crop all the way through to harvest. Um, but initial signs are encouraging. Tyrafides come back stronger, but I think still in Hawke's Bay we're talking about 20% of that uh, area that's been written off. Colin Bond says growers' moods swing from optimistic to exhausted, and for some it's still many years of work ahead to rebuild structures and replant. He says most growers are indicating that they'll stay on the orchards and repair the land and buildings, but some are redeveloping on a smaller scale. Massey University has updated its online course to help rural advisors and farmers complete freshwater farm plans. Parts of Waikato and Southland will be required to complete freshwater farm plans in 18 months from now. They're front of the queue in the rollout across all regions by the end of 2025. Course coordinator Lucy Burkett says freshwater farm plan regulations were formalised this June and the new course reflects those standards. She says rural professionals and farmers with a good understanding of soil and nutrient management would benefit from the course. We start with MAPS. Uh, we get our students, so we use um, case study farms in our course uh, because obviously th- this course is taught mostly online. We get the students to, to do that mapping and then, and then go through and apply um, all of that uh, knowledge to develop a, a freshwater farm plan. We do have some prerequisites for this course. Um, we do require you know, some background knowledge in uh, some soils, um, soil understanding, and it's helpful if, if you've had some, some sort of training in nutrient management. But we have a lot of a whole range of people um, coming to do our courses, um, and they find that you know, with that background knowledge, um, they're in a really good position to, to go through and, and develop that freshwater farm plan. Dr Burkett says the Intermediate Freshwater Farm Plan course takes about 10 weeks or 100 hours of work, mainly done remotely, and starts next February. The government's doubled the amount of money it's putting into controlling wilding pines this financial year. The budget is being boosted by a one-off $7 million allocation from the Department of Conservation's purse. Otago Regional Council is hoping for a good share of the money, amongst others, saying more than 8% of Otago is affected by rapidly spreading pines and 70% is vulnerable to future infestation. Regional councils have been asking the government to boost funding for pine control up to $25 million each year for the next 10 years. And that's the rural news for today. Kia, kia pai tada.